Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're continuing our walk through the book of Luke. And we've come now to the place in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus begins to honor the life of John the Baptist. He, he talks about some of the things John did, who John was. And it's really bittersweet when you realize in the context that John at that moment is sitting in a dungeon on death row about to be decapitated. And it's as if Jesus is um, reading his eulogy prematurely. Now, theologically and doctrinally, this text tells us, it tells us of prophecy and that John was the forerunner and all of that. But it also gives us a chance as we look at this to reflect of our own lives what would what would Jesus say of your life if he were to come to your funeral so to speak I think that's an important question because in the final analysis the only one's opinion who matters and bears eternal significance of your life is the opinion of Jesus Christ and so while we realize that John had a different ministry and different time, and I'm not, you know, you're not John the Baptist, I'm not John the Baptist, but as we study this text, there is a strong application in it of which I just said. What would Jesus say of your life? Now, let's read our text. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse number 24, picking up where we left off. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say unto you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I want to preach to you on this subject from the text. John the Baptist, according to Jesus, what would the master say of your life? John the Baptist, according to Jesus, what would the master say of your life? The first thing we want to see is Jesus considers John's character in verses 24 and 25. Jesus considers John's character. Luke writes, when the messengers of John had departed, now, remember last time we were together, we saw the previous pericope in this passage, uh, chapter rather, and it was John's messengers coming to Jesus with news of John's doubt. So after they departed, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. And he made some uh, statements by way of question that, that caused the people to think. He said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? 
Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. Now, clearly, he's being sarcastic. He's using sarcasm to make a point. And he's referencing John's ministry in the wilderness. Remember, John did not have a ministry in the temple. John's ministry was in the wilderness, and the tree stump was his pulpit, and the river was his altar. John was a man of the wilderness. So Jesus considers John's character. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, he says that John... uh, was not a reed shaken by the wind is what he's uh, emphasizing here, what he's insinuating by asking these sarcastic questions because clearly John was not a reed shaken by the wind. So the first thing we notice is Jesus considers John's character is John was a man of firm conviction. Firm conviction. John was not a man that was blown about by the winds of doctrine as a reed shaken in the wind. John was not a man who was blown about by the winds of the political powers that be, whoever was in charge at the moment, like a reed shaken in the wind. Oh, no. John was not a reed shaken in the wind. John was a mighty oak tree rooted in the word of God and the God of the word. And he was not swayed by the winds of change or the winds of a political climate or the winds of false doctrine, all these winds that shake people to and fro. Oh, no, Jesus insinuates. John was not that. John was strong. John was a man of firm conviction. He was a man that told it like it was and believed it like it is. John was a man that preached the book the book. He believed the book. He was a man of firm conviction. Well, how firm was his conviction, Pastor? Well, you tell me. When the Pharisees arrived to hear what John was saying, John looked at them and said, well, you bunch of snakes and vipers, who warned you of the wrath to come? It's pretty firm conviction. John was a man of firm conviction that when Herod Antipas had an adulterous and incestuous affair with Herodias, John the Baptist looked him right in the face, eyeball to eyeball, and lifted that righteous bony finger of his and said, hey, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. John was a man of firm conviction. We see Jesus consider John's character. He wasn't a reed blown in the wind. He was a mighty oak. But John was also not only a man of firm conviction, but a man of faithful contentment. I love what Jesus says. He says, did you go see a man in soft garments, luxuriously living in a palace? No. He wore camel fur and ate bugs and lived off of the land. John was not a man that was swayed by the goods of this world, by material possessions. Not at all. He wasn't some uh, sissy. I hate to use that word, but that's basically what Jesus is implying out there in soft clothes, just living off luxury. Not at all. John was a man who was faithfully content with what God had given him. God gave him camel hair and bugs for dinner 
And John said, sounds good to me. John was a man of firm conviction, but John was a man of faithful contentment. He was content with where God had placed him, what God fed him, and what God put on his back. And I wonder if Jesus were to come to our funeral, and I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you, probably more. Would Jesus say, let me tell you something about this individual. He or she was a Christian of firm convictions. They stood on the book, whether it was popular, whether it brought, brought them a lot of friends, whether it cost them. They were people of firm conviction. And let me tell you something else about this person. They were a person of faithful contentment. Whether they had soft and luxurious clothes or camel hair and bugs for dinner, they were faithfully content. We're reminded of the words of Paul who said, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. 1 Timothy 6, 6. John the Baptist emulated that to the T. He was content, and he was a man of conviction. Yes, Jesus considered John's character. And what would Jesus say of your character when your life is over. Secondly, Jesus moves now in verses 26 through 27, not only to consider John's character, that he was a man of firm conviction and he was a man of faithful contentment, but now he moves and Jesus considers John's call. John's call. Not only John's character, but now John's call. John had a call on his life. And let me just say this by way of application quickly. If you're saved, God's got a call on your life. Now, it may be a little bit different than John's the Baptist. I don't think God wants me to wear camel hair and eat bugs. But if he did, I guess I would. Wouldn't have much of a choice. But John's got, John had a call, and so do you. Now, let's talk about that. Now. Verse 26, Jesus said, But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So now Jesus considers John's call, and he relates who John is and what John was called to do. And it's really a twofold answer. And, and this is going to sound strange, but if you give me time to explain, you'll say, hey, that makes perfect sense. John's call was twofold. John was the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament preacher. Here we go. John was the last Old Testament prophet. Jesus referenced, he said, this is he of whom it is written, referencing the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3, if you need to look it up. Jesus said he's the last Old Testament prophet, basically. Now, in the Old Testament, there was to be a final prophet, if you will, before the advent of the Messiah. Now, what do I mean by final? Because we know that the... Um, that that there was prophecy in the New Testament. But 
what I mean by the final prophet is he was that forerunner. He was that last Old Testament prophet that would bridge the gap between the old and the new. He would pave the way for the Messiah. And this was predicted as Jesus quotes. Now you say, Pastor, that's just your opinion. No, it's not. Jesus quotes Isaiah 40 and verse 3 and says that John's the one. When the Old Testament said there was a guy coming right before the Messiah to prepare the way for the Messiah, to point people to the Messiah, he said, that was John. Here he is. In fact, we know that Jesus would go on to say that John was the Elijah that was to come. And so John was the last Old Testament prophet. Now, Isaiah predicted that in Isaiah 40 and verse 3. And God fulfilled it. But we also see that it was literally fulfilled in John 1, 19 through 28, where John the Baptist is preaching his message of repentance, and he's questioned by the priests and Levites, and he makes this statement, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So John the Baptist quotes Isaiah and says, yes, that's me. And Jesus says, yes, that's him. Let me give you a third witness. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, Luke chapter 1, verse 76, said this. He will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. John knew that he was to be the last Old Testament prophet predicted in the Old Testament by a prophet. How about that? Isaiah predicted it. John declared it. Zacharias, his father, declared it and prophesied it before John was born. And Jesus, God incarnate himself, said it to be true. So there's no arguing that John was the forerunner, also known as the last Old Testament prophet. But there's another fold. John was the first New Testament preacher. John was the first New Testament preacher. Well, pastor, how do you come up with that? Quite simply, John 1.29. John 1.29. The next day, John saw Jesus. Now, that's John the Baptist. Saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who was preferred before me, for he was before me. That's John 1, 29 through 30. John was the last Old Testament prophet and simultaneously the first New Testament preacher because he preached and pointed to Jesus. Let me give it to you like this. Prophets predict, and John said, he's coming, but preachers point, and John said, there he is. Let me say that again. It was so nice it must be said twice. Prophets predict, and John said, he's coming. Preachers point, and John said, there he is. So John was the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament gospel preacher. The first one to preach his sermons, and literally, not, not just, you know, I do that figuratively when I preach my sermons, I'm trying to point you to Jesus, but appreciate the beauty. This is just awesome, the theology of this passage, that John literally pointed as he's preaching and says, there's Jesus Christ. 
There's the Lamb of God, and it is Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. The, the one that I told you about, there he is. And we can only imagine the crowd as they turn their heads and look and see Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, and in all of his sinless perfection. Wow. That just fills me with joy to see John's unique ministry as Jesus considers John's call that he was the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament preacher. And John pointed people to Jesus. Now, Again, considering our main application, what would the master say of your life? Let me just ask you point blank, and I think you know where I'm going with this. If Jesus were to read your eulogy, would he say, this man, this woman, pointed people to me? Because that's what John the Baptist did. And here we have Jesus honoring him, speaking of him as being the last Old Testament prophet, and then we know from the rest of Scripture, because we measure Scripture with Scripture, that he was the first New Testament preacher. Would, would Jesus be able to say, hey, just like John the Baptist, this person here pointed people to me throughout their lives. You say, well, pastor, I'm not a preacher. Well, you may not be a pastor in the office sense, but every Christian's a witness. It's just a question of what kind of witness you are. Would Jesus be able to say you pointed people to him? So we see that Jesus considers John's character a man of firm conviction and faithful contentment. And then in verses 26 through 27, we see Jesus considers John's call, the last Old Testament prophet, the first New Testament preacher. And then we come to verses 28 through 29, and we see that Jesus considers John's constraint, his constraint. You see, John operated under the old economy. John operated under the old covenant, the Old Testament, because his ministry was over before Jesus ever went to the cross inaugurating the new covenant. I mean, Jesus himself said, take, eat, this is my covenant. This is the new covenant. And we know that all of that is tied into Calvary because it's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of the virgin-born Son of God. But John the Baptist was dead before that happened. And so John had a constraint. Now, let me explain. Jesus says, For I say unto you, among those born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. As great as John was, he was limited in that he would not be, uh, though John went to heaven, don't, don't get me wrong, but, but that he would not live to see, live to be a part of this new covenant as the kingdom of God is, is inaugurated. And you say, well, I thought the kingdom of God already was. Well, it was, and it's not yet. You know, we have this idea uh, throughout the New Testament, especially in eschatology, that the kingdom of God is here, but it's also not here yet. And so John was, was going to, though he obviously sees it in heaven, 
but John, in his life, his earthly ministry, he was not going to get to be a part of that inauguration, a part of that. So he was constrained. And when we think about this, there's there's some very practical points to this. As great as John the Baptist was, John never lived to see the completed canon of Scripture. That's a limitation. That's a constraint. As great as John the Baptist was, John the Baptist never lived to see the day of Pentecost enacted when the Holy Spirit would no longer simply dwell on and then depart believers from time to time, but he would dwell in believers. John never lived to see it. And so that's what Jesus means when he says, the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. You have more advantages. You know, we often read the Bible and we look at these characters and we say, man, I wish God would speak audibly to me. Man, I wish I could walk on water. And we, got, we build these men and women of God up like they're superheroes. And they are heroes, don't get me wrong. But ladies and gentlemen, you have the advantage being in the church age, being in the new covenant. How so, pastor? Because number one, you've got a completed Bible. You've got the canon complete in your hand. Matter of fact, I'm sitting in my office right now. You know how many copies of God's Word is on my desk? One, two, three, four, five. Five Bibles. John the Baptist would have given anything for one. And we know the Old Testament, the old economy, we see the Holy Spirit descend on people and depart, descend and depart. Case in point, Samson. But Jesus said, hey, in this new economy, this new covenant, what I'm doing, this new thing I'm doing, it's better for you if I leave because the Holy Spirit's coming. The comforter has come. And while Jesus uh, had taken on flesh and, and purposefully, voluntarily, and temporarily limited himself to that body of flesh, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Wherever there's a believer, there's the Holy Spirit. You see, I'm sitting here in Enery, South Carolina. The Holy Spirit's here. Why? Because I'm saved. He lives within me. And I'm sure that in China, there's a Christian right now sitting doing something, and the Holy Spirit's there, and he's living in that believer. And so I want you to understand, Jesus is not saying, I refuse the interpretation, though it is a popular one, that why Jesus said, that least in the kingdom is greater than John because of John's doubt. That's not what Jesus is getting at. When you understand biblical theology and, and the covenants and the different time dispensations, you don't have to be dispensational, but you can understand the old economy versus God's new economy. Not that God changed in his character or anything like that, but it was just part of that revelation. When you understand that, you see, well, what Jesus is really getting at is the, those that, that walk in the new covenant as the kingdom is, is coming into fruition more and more and more, they have every advantage over John the Baptist. And so we see Jesus considered John's constraint. Now, as we close, because that wasn't even the main point, but we don't skip verses on this podcast. I don't skip verses in the pulpit. Um, on Wednesday nights, I preach through a book of the Old Testament. On Sundays, I preach through a book of the New Testament. And whatever, however long it takes us, that's how long it takes us. But I don't skip a comma. Amen. But 
the main point of the passage needs to be reiterated. So as we close, we have studied John the Baptist according to Jesus, because Jesus' opinion is the only one that matters. What would the master make of your life? We notice that Jesus considered John's character, that he was a man of firm conviction. He wasn't a reed shaking in the wind. He was a mighty oak. And he was a man of faithful contentment. He was content with camel hair and bugs for dinner. Whatever God told him to do, John was okay with that. Secondly, Jesus considered John's call. He was the last Old Testament prophet. That one predicted, that final prophet predicted that would be a forerunner. And he was the first New Testament preacher. Because in his sermon, he said, there's the Lamb of God. He pointed people to Jesus. And then finally, we see kind of more of a, theological point that Jesus considered John's constraint that those in the kingdom that that is coming remember Jesus John excuse me John the Baptist said the kingdom is coming and now and now it is and still not yet that we that we would have advantage for and I gave you some practical reasons for that number one the Holy Spirit's ministry post-Pentecost, and number two, the completed Bible. Now, there's, I'm sure there's other reasons, but those are the two most practical. And in all this, we just step back and realize that Jesus said, hey, among those born of women, there's never been a greater prophet than John the Baptist. What a wonderful compliment from Christ. And it makes me wonder, what would Christ say of our lives? If Jesus were to preach your funeral, what would he say? God bless you. Keep digging in the book of Luke, verse by verse. And thank you for listening to Equipping the Body.